The hour has come, said the badger at last with great solemnity. What hour? asked the rat uneasily, glancing at the clock on the mantelpiece. Whose hour, you should rather say, replied the badger. Why, toad's hour, the hour of the toad. I said I would take him in hand as soon as the winter is well over, and I am going to take him in hand today. Hey y'all, I'm Paul Severs, interpreter with Great Parks of Hamilton County, and you are listening to Take It Outdoors, a Great Parks of Hamilton County podcast. This is a show where you can enjoy the outdoors from the indoors. On this, our fourth episode, we will be diving into the nocturnal mating habits of our native frogs and toads. The quote at the top was from the beloved children's book, The Wind in the Willows by Kenneth Graham. If you haven't read it before, or even if you already have, this is a perfect time to read it. Winter is well over, finally, and this is indeed the hour of the toad and the frog. If you have made an evening journey to a pond lately, you have most likely heard the symphony, or cacophony, depending on your perspective, of the mating amphibians. But whatever your perspective, I'm sure you are in awe at the intensity and diversity of the frog calls. We will visit this symphony a little later in the show, but right now, to discuss the frog mating season in more detail, we are joined by Zuri Carter, conservation biologist with Great Parks of Hamilton County. Zuri, thanks for joining us on Take It Outdoors. Thanks for having me. All right, so let's start off with how many species of frogs and toads do we have here in Hamilton County? So there are a total of 11 frogs and toads in Hamilton County, um, nine different species of frogs and two different species of toads. So we all know bullfrogs, pretty common, the grump, grump. But a lot of times, I mean, two different species of toads. You have your American toad and then Fowler's toad. Okay, so say I'm in my backyard. We find toads. Which one could it be either? Well, you will know if you have Fowler's toad because their shrill is a little bit louder. It's piercing your ears um, whenever I uh, hear them. And then American toads are a little bit more, still a loud shrill, but on the scale of um, intensity is less than the Fowler's toad. We have frogs and toads. What then is the difference? How would I know that I, I have a frog or how would I know I have a toad? When I was growing up, I was taught that toads are bumpy and frogs are smooth, and that's not necessarily the case for all frogs or all toads. Take the cricket frog, for example. It has a bumpy texture to its skin, although it's not bumpy in the sense that a toad is because we describe those as war. So you start getting really technical in how you describe the texture of what frogs have versus what toads have. To tell the difference though, generally your toads will have um, warts on their skin. They'll also have what you call cranial crests, which are located right behind their eyes. And also you'll find that frogs have dorsal lateral folds on them. So when you're looking at leopard frogs, for example, you'll see like this yellow line that goes along their back. That's the dorsal lateral fold. It stands out uh, pretty prominently on leopard frogs. And then on your toads as well as you'll have the paratoid glands that um, are located on their backs as well that are pretty noticeable when you see them. So as a gland, do they have a secretion? Yes. It's meant to help, um, like if they're being attacked by a predator. Um, It's kind of like a a milky alkaloid substance that helps hopefully prevent them from getting eaten at that time. So when the predator tries to ingest them, they secrete the substance from their glands and and just leaves the a bad taste. And just for the record, toads have warts. Do they give us warts? I mean, that's a pretty common thing. You know, as a kid, your mom's, hey, don't pick up the toad. It's going to give you warts and it pees on you. 
No, they don't. Although I swear it did when I was little. I gave it to my brother. But I just think it happened to be a coincidence um, that he ended up with one. But no, they don't. Okay. Just, so that's good. Just to clear the table of that. When I read that quote from The Wind in the Willows, I, I appreciate it because it says, you know, this is the time, this is the hour of the toad. Um, why is it at this time of year? I mean, if I go back to the ponds in September, I don't, typically don't hear frogs calling. So why is it right now? What's so good about this time of year that they, this is when they are mating? It's wetter this time of year. And so breeding will start as early as March for some species. And so they kind of go in a ladder-like fashion. Like some will start in March, others will start in April. Um, all the way through June, your American bullfrogs and American toads will typically start later in the in the process when it's less rain that's coming down because they can tolerate just occupying like existing ponds. But during your wet season, your species that will breed earlier who depend on like the vernal pools and the type of waters that will end up drying up from the, the heat of the summer will start breeding earlier just because it's, it's wetter at that time. And you'll hear, hear them calling a lot because it's mating season. Do both the male and the females, do they both call? I mean, so if I go to a pond and I hear this, am I hearing both males and females? Am I hearing only one, you know, or the other? How does that work? You're mostly hearing the males calling. It's not that females can't make any sound at all, but you're more than likely hearing the males calling, setting up their territories, trying to warn others, like, here, this is my spot. It also lets the females know, like, where they are as well. So is it very similar to, I mean, we're all used to hearing birds call. Is that, I mean, they're kind of saying the same thing, just in a different language? Yes. You mentioned then that they're territorial, and that's one of the things they're calling for. If another bullfrog comes into the territory of another male bullfrog, will they fight over that territory or what What would occur at that time? If you've seen videos of, of bullfrogs fighting, that's that's pretty much what occurs. Like you're trying to push the other one out from infringing on their, their spot because you want to find a spot that has the good food, where they're you're more likely to be seen where there's safety. Um, you can escape to safety. And if someone else is infringing on that, you want to you wanna defend it. But also, if you're a bigger bullfrog, more, you're more likely to be more attractive um, because maybe your voice is deeper and you're bigger. And so the bullfrog may have more females that it is interested in it and vice versa. And so you have other males trying to take advantage of that. The goal of the, the mating season is to get your genes out there and other males will try to take that opportunity away. So if you walked into a bar on any given Friday night and observed what was happening, it's not that far from what's happening on a pond on a Friday night then with the frogs. Pretty similar, as loud as well. <laughs> All right. You mentioned that typically the males are the only ones calling, so that's an easy way to distinguish if it's a male. Are there visual cues that would tell you the difference between males and females? Yes. Males tend to have larger typaniums, um, which are the the circular disc that you see that's located right behind their eyes. Theirs is larger than their eyes, and in females it's smaller. Often there's a difference in size as well. In the case of the American bullfrog, the males are bigger than the females in size, but in the American toad, the females are a little bit larger than the males. So it varies depending on the species, but you will have differences often between size of males and females. That's actually kind of an interesting lead into what I wanted to ask next. So in doing some research for this, I came across Amplexus, which is very intriguing. And it seems more intriguing that you mentioned a lot of times the female is larger than the male. So can you kind of explain 
amplexus then for us? Amplexus is when the male will clasp the female behind their shoulders and they'll just, it just looks like it's sitting on top of the female essentially. And sometimes it, this um, amplexus will initiate on land, but it always ends up in water because that's where the eggs are laid. It's the position where the male can fertilize the eggs as they're being laid by the female. You mentioned they lay their eggs in the water, which is what makes them an amphibian, right? They start their life in the water, they end up on land. What occurs, though, from the time they're in an egg to the time they're an adult on the land? What, what are the stages that takes them from egg to frog? After they're laid as eggs, they begin developing into embryos. Proceeding forward, they become the tadpoles that we most commonly see swimming around in the ponds by the hundreds. Following that, they start developing, they start metamorphosing into the frogs that we so commonly see. So they start getting their legs, they're popping out, and the tail starts getting shorter as they change from being the tadpole and using that to swim around to depending on their legs to, to get them around. And then that's when we end up with like the young frogs emerging from the waters and where they go into land to become the adult frogs that we most commonly see. What kind of time frame is that typically? It varies based on the species, the time that it takes to go from an egg to an adult frog. A great resource, like if you're super interested in how the changes may occur across the range of the species, um, is to reference the Amphibians of Ohio. It's published by the Ohio Biological Survey. It's a great resource for learning not only about frogs and toads, but also about other amphibians such as salamanders that we have in Ohio. Now, does the tail just fall off? I mean, if I walk around a pond, am I going to find frog tails? What, <laughs> what happens to this tail? I mean, it has one and then it doesn't. Where does it go? It just kind of gets absorbed into the body. It doesn't fall off. So we, we've talked about now that this is the time of year that they're mating. Once mating's done, I assume the frogs don't come back and take care of their young. I mean, we're, we're talking a lot of eggs. That's a lot of young to take care of. So what are these frogs doing the rest of the year? Just hiding out and eating? Exactly. Um, because they're spending the first time of year telling all the predators, here I am. But now that they're not, no longer focused on mating, they've wisened up and realized like, oh, I can't just keep singing all the time and telling, advertising where I am. Um, so they become more silent and they, they're just sitting around eating um, preparing to go into hibernation for the winter so that they can start the process again next year. So where do they hibernate? How, I mean, do they, they literally just sleep through the wintertime? So they hibernate under leaf litter. They don't literally sleep through the winter. It's more like their biological processes slow down. They enter a state of brumation, and then after the cold passes, so like the first cold snap, if they're a few days like this past year, you may have heard them calling a little bit earlier than normal because they were thinking, oh, it's warm, like, wait, not quite yet, it's still, still cold. So sometimes you hear them calling early because they come out of that state of being too cold to be functional and warming up and then being able to go back and wait a while longer. What are some of the challenges that are facing these frogs and toads today? One of the biggest challenges that um, being in an urban environment is habitat fragmentation. S different species require a different amount of land area to successfully exist in to promote genetic diversity between populations. So I would say the, the biggest challenge is habitat fragmentation. Another challenge is the presence of chytrid fungus. It is also known as BD. 
it affects frogs and toads alike. One of the things that um, you have to make sure of is when handling a frog or toad before you handle one that's at a different site, because maybe you have kids who are interested in like, oh, there's a toad here, there's a frog there, is washing your hands in between um, and thoroughly cleaning them so that you don't contribute to the spread of this fungus. What are Great Parks doing right now to combat some of those challenges? By conserving land. So 80% of our parks are held within natural areas, which in an urban environment like Cincinnati provides opportunities for these species and many others to exist in areas that aren't broken up by a lot of roads or a lot of buildings. Um, So having that continuous habitat. Another thing that we're doing, um, particular to these species and others, is we monitor what do we have in the parks. So herpetofauna, which is reptiles and amphibians, monitoring program was developed recently to be able to determine what species do we have, where are they, or estimate how many are existing in our different parks. This type of information helps us plan our management um, within the parks uh, because Amphibians serve as a sort of indicator species. Some species are more sensitive to things like pollution and habitat fragmentation than others, and amphibians are particularly sensitive to these type of things. So, for example, at one of our parks that we were monitoring in for the first time last year, we were able to determine that there were cricket frogs at this park. No other surveys had been done within this park. Knowing that Blanchard's cricket frogs were there is one step in the direction of gaining more knowledge of, okay, we know this can exist here. What other species can exist here? And studying or monitoring to determine what those other species will be. We're now at Glenwood Gardens, and we are on the wetlands loop. And off of that wetlands loop, there are a couple of ponds, which have a pretty good diversity of frogs. And I'm joined by Suzanne Roth. She is the Central Education Manager for the Great Parks of Hamilton County. Suzanne, do you mind just setting the scene for our listeners? Absolutely. The sun is setting. Uh, There's a little bit of a breeze in the air, and uh, cottonwood leaves are kind of rattling in the breeze. Starting to hear the red-winged blackbirds call as um, as it gets darker. The frogs will get louder and louder and kind of calling in unison, and it will get so loud that it's almost deafening, but it's somehow also very peaceful. Um, and then when you look out over the field as the sun goes down, the fireflies blinking their very unique patterns is just gorgeous. It's very peaceful. What we're hearing is kind of a, a chorus, if you will, of several different uh, species of frogs. This is the mating season, so basically the males kind of hang around the outside of the pond and the females are listening. The kind of banjo plucking sound. There's a green frog, a very common frog. Uh, The low resonating jug of rum is a bullfrog. The two, sounds like two marbles being clicked together. That's a cricket frog, and that's a very tiny frog. For as um, little as it is, it makes a whole lot of noise. I mean, if you get a lot of them together, it's almost deafening. In the trees, we hear the mechanical trill of the gray tree frog. It's dusk right now. The sun's going down. Frogs are mostly nocturnal. But if I came back in the middle of the day, would I hear many of these choruses going on? Or is it only at night? 
While most of it happens at night, you will still hear some of these sounds during the day. So you still might hear the cricket frogs. You just might not hear it in quite the volume that you hear at night. Um, you would still hear the occasional green frog. You would still hear the occasional bullfrog. You just wouldn't have quite the volume um, in terms of amount of calling and probably the, the actual volume, the, the loudness of it all. Will this calling go on all night? Yeah, pretty much. They'll continue to call until they find a mate. This spring has been pretty wet and we've had a lot of storms and just showers kind of roll through in the evenings. Do the frogs like that? Is the rain something that they enjoy? Well, you would think that they would because they're in the water and they, they like to stay wet. Um, but in my experience, just from observing, they don't seem to come out when it's raining. It's possible they don't like the movement of all the rain, the raindrops coming down. It's hard to keep an eye out for predators when there's a lot of movement. Frogs are very sight-oriented. In fact, they don't even see their prey until it's moving around. So sight is a sense they rely heavily upon. Are you saying that if the, the prey doesn't move, they won't, they don't know it's food? It's quite possible they don't. I know they don't go after it if it's not moving. So if you're ever attacked by a giant frog, the best thing to do is just, just stand hold still. still. <laughs> Very good. Folks, that is our show for today. Two great places to hear the mating calls of the frogs and toads are the Wetland Loop at Glenwood Gardens and the Shaker Trace Outer Loop at Miami Whitewater Forest. Check them out. You won't be disappointed. Zuri, thank you for your insights today. It was great being here. I'd also like to thank Suzanne Roth for bringing us along at Glenwood Gardens. And of course, thank you, listener, for joining us today on Take It Outdoors, a podcast where you can enjoy the outdoors from the indoors. Make sure to check back next month for our next episode. And until then, I'm Paul Sievers. Get outside. Enjoy nature.